Today's initial reaction for episode two of season eight of Game of Thrones is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today and use code GOT20 to save 20% off their amazing Game of Thrones products. And every week on our YouTube live roundtable, we'll be giving away a Hand of the King or Hand of the Queen pin. So please join us. And while you're on the interwebs, go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR. Look good when you walk out the door in the morning. Elevate your style and your look at cufflinks.com. Now on to the show. Welcome back to Podcast Winterfell. Wow, what an episode. We're here for the initial reaction for Season 8, Episode 2, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. I want to first off thank Thaxton for the new music. I love it. I love the other music, and I want to thank Devin for that, too. But it's the Westworld Theorycast music, and more appropriate, and I was just trying to change it up, and I love the new music. So thank you, Thaxton. I want to remind everyone to go to podcastwinterfell.com. You can find out all about us. Subscribe, rate, give a review. We love it. Become a patron, DVR Podcast at patreon.com. And tomorrow on YouTube, I did a little test today. We will be going live at 10 p.m. Eastern with DJ Tim Hines. We've got a great set of guests. I think we got like five people that are ready to go. You'll see when you tune in because, you know, some people can make, some people not. I don't want to put pressure on them. Uh, but it's going to be great fun. And also the guys from Guest the Throne are going to come on this week. And nobody died, but they're going to talk about what the uh you know what the ratios of this person thought this people this person was going to die and how many people think this and that it's going to be fun that's all i got let's get to the episode ken's here he's got notes ken i love you how you doing welcome back i am so glad to be back axel <laughs> thanks for having me on um it's been a long time since i've talked about an original episode of game of thrones so i'm super excited to be here yeah man and wow um, this episode was very much what I expected. And I don't know if you felt that way, Ken, but I was really hoping that we were going to get a companion piece to the first episode yeah. where it was a lot of character stuff. It was a lot of settling, like maybe putting pieces together. I don't know, but really putting internal pieces together in preparation for perhaps death. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved every part of it. I, I I thought at some point, I have to admit, there were a lot of talking, a lot of scenes together. I said, this is, I'm having so much fun. And then I thought, should I want there to be like a big battle scene or something to happen? And then yeah. I thought, no, I don't. I really enjoy this. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are... I read a lot of things and heard some stuff after last week's episode where I think some people were concerned that last week was going to be the only people get together and talk yeah. episode. Yeah. And I think some people felt underwhelmed by the level and um, length of, of certain conversations. So it was great for Dan and Dave to kind of defy expectations to a certain degree and have an even deeper dive into these relationships um, on the on the literal eve of a battle. Um, so it was like, you know, the calm, the literal calm before the storm. Um, yeah. Even though there was a lot going on, not just 
conversations and relationships. But like, I loved how almost in every exterior shot, you could see people in the background, like hammering stuff, doing defensive stuff. Um, so it was really, it was a great episode. I totally agree with you. Um, I think things are going to get really crazy. So I really think we need this moment to really see where our characters are and to set the emotional stakes for the physical stuff that is probably going to start happening starting next weekend. Yeah, definitely. And it also makes sense because just from like a directorial point of view and when you're writing episodes, putting it together, you're like, they're about to enter into battle. It's not going to be as meaningful a scene if Davos steps in and saves Jamie, unless right. we can remember that they sat around a fire together. Exactly. You know, right. and, or Tormund, uh, you know, helps Tyrion or whatever, you know, Pod does something. So I think that that was, it's just a wonderful way for us not only to, and I've been talking about this with the rewatch where they put so much to rest with the little finger part and that kind of part of the story. And now they have to start again. And there's a rebirth that's happening here. And characters are getting to know each other in new and different ways, even if they've known each other. And new people are meeting each other that really we've not had an opportunity for them to hang out. Um, I thought it was great, man. And also, the death of Littlefinger opens up the door for the political story now to not only be about Cersei and King's Landing, but to be about Daenerys, which it she was always kind of a back burner political story. Right. Right. Um, yep. And, and now she's in the forefront and she's the center of attention, both negatively and positively. And that's really interesting to see what is she made of? Um, what is the complexity of how she feels, how she thinks, what is her reaction? And that kind of leads us right into the beginning because this episode picks up exactly where, last week's episode left off with Jamie and now Jamie facing Daenerys and kind of the whole Winterfell posse, everyone who's up there has sort of gathered in one big room. And it wasn't, I won't call it a trial because it really wasn't a trial, but, but Jamie was sort of kind of front and center and he was sort of asked to answer for some of the stuff that he's done in the past, but it was really Danny and Jamie and it was really like what is what is Danny going to to do as an authority figure in this situation yeah I thought that that whole scene was great and I just want to say right off the bat I was glad that they dispensed with it rather quickly yeah I think we were I looked up and I think we were nine or ten minutes in when John hurriedly walked out of the room so he didn't have to talk to his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Classic John emo style. No, let's not talk about it now. Um, And uh, I thought that that was great. Brienne stands up for Jamie. And you're right. It's a lot more about people getting used to kind of, it was about Danny, a lot of it. And I like the way that, John is kind of just sitting there. I mean, obviously, because he knows the information that he knows and doesn't want to, it feels uncomfortable, you know, where he stands. He's such a man of honor and of rules that he just doesn't know where he stands. 
But Sansa, your girl, yeah, your woman, uh, she was like, what up, Brienne? Set it up. It's good for me, you know? And Danny had to kind of turn. I thought we were going to get one of those John saying, well, I'm the good, you know? And they yeah. were, but no. And I think that that kind of shows something, which is that maybe Sansa wasn't too far off about maybe John kind of his mind is not really where it should be. And we can't blame him for that, but it is all about Danny. He wanted to kind of avoid Danny. And yeah. And I think she knew that. Like, I mean, I'll say that we've probably all been in love. Hopefully we've all been in love and you know, love creates a cloud, a good cloud, a bad cloud, a cloud. And I think that's what Sansa was trying to address is that it's a wrinkle. It's um, and, and maybe in this situation, it's an unwanted wrinkle. Um, and I love how she didn't defer to Daenerys when she was like, I, I, I side with Brienne. If, if Brienne thinks this guy's okay, then I think he's okay. Um, I think Danny probably wanted her to refer to her. Yeah. I think I think Danny wanted John to side with her and I think she was super frustrated when neither thing happened. Yeah, it was it was uh it didn't it didn't really go the way I thought it was going to go. Yeah. And one thing is that the northern people didn't have a chance. I thought there was going to be a part where people were just going to be I think I said on an earlier podcast, we were going to be like, we got one of these Lannister brothers. Who cares? Now we have another one. <laughs> like, just get this over with, you know? And so that's why I was glad it kind of happened quickly. And it shows, uh, um, and and, I, and we'll talk about it later, but like the way Danny approached Sansa, which I thought was, wow, uh, that, that surprised me. The end didn't surprise me, but the way she did it surprised me. Yeah. Is that like when we talked about, uh, when we last spoke, where maybe they'll have, they're reaching for a new way of dealing with each other and dealing with power. Yeah. And I'm just not sure if Danny is there yet. <laughs> you know, like it seems like everybody isn't. When she went to Sansa, that was something. And I like that. But she, I just don't know that she's there yet in understanding that. They all have to compromise. Well, Danny, it's her relationship with power is still evolving, right? Yeah. Like in, in Slaver's Bay, it was easier and it was more black and white because she was up against people who were advocating for slavery. And so it was much easier for her to be in a much more righteous position and to be much more sympathetic. Now that she's in a grayer um situation in Winterfell it's I think it's she's finding it a lot more difficult to navigate these political circles um and like coming up against Sansa coming up against John coming up against the repercussions of what she did to Sam's family like I think all of these landmines she's finding a lot trickier than I think she even imagined that she would find them definitely definitely well let's talk a little bit you did some good notes here and well, oh, oh go ahead, go ahead. Oh, let's stick with Jamie, yeah. and then um, I I thought the conversation with Bran was interesting, short, succinct, 
just like Bran, (laughs) (laughs) like Robo Bran. Um, So, but the one thing that I thought was interesting, here's, here's kind of a meta thing that I thought was interesting about, about the scene between Bran and Jamie. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think a lot of the Stark children right now are fighting with their, how much of their humanity is safe to show. Or are they able to show at this point, given everything that Sansa, Arya, and Bran have been through? And I think they're all sort of, especially in this episode, fighting with how much humanity do they actually have left? And how much are they willing to show? How much are they willing to access? So it was in, in under that light, the scene with Bran and Jamie was really interesting because... Um, even though he said he's not angry with anyone, he also kind of didn't let Jamie off the hook either. Yeah. And I think that that is in a way, because I think Bran is kind of like, you did what you did and I'm not so interested in how you feel now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like in his mind, events occur as they are. And he, it's almost as if when he spoke of that, he lived that again. And then when they spoke of now, he was able to be in the now, you know, he is what his memory is. And like that great conversation, which I had been waiting for, for brand to kind of talk to everybody and explain a little bit about, you know, who he is and what's going on when he said, um, I am the memory of this world. Yeah. You know? So it can't he can't have any emotion. Because if he did, he would get lost in a particular memory or one would be more important than another. And yes. he doesn't have that anymore. And what you say is great. Just to think, Ken, of the first episode, the last time all of them were the Starks were at Winterfell with poor Rickon was there too, but he's gone now. Um, Ramsey, you bastard Ramsey. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) they were so innocent and and so wide-eyed. And you're right. They're all so traumatized now and deciding what humanity they have. I think that Sansa, John, and Arya have a choice in this, but I don't think Bran does. Not given his abilities, yeah. I think you're right. If, if for no other reason, logistically, because he's seen everything that's happening presently and everything that ever happened in the past, I think it would be difficult for him to also maintain an individual personality in light of the fact that he's constantly being bombarded with visions yeah. of, of all this other stuff. So. Yeah, that was great. Now you have two um, to stick on Jamie when he reconciles with Tyrion. What a scene. I love that. I love seeing them together. And it's just so weird when he mentions having sex with their sister in front of his brother. Like when he says it in front of anyone else, I can kind of take it. Yeah. You know, but I come from a family of two brothers and a sister. Yeah. And, uh, well, we have another brother. We didn't grow up with him. He's much younger. And, uh, I I don't know, man. I mean, between that and Arya making out with Gendry, this was a tough episode for me, Ken. I had to really adjust my, uh, my worldview in, in many ways that I don't know if I'm ready for. (laughs) 
Well, but <laughs> we are going to get to the Aria stuff in a minute because it sort of it sort of skeeved me out too. Yeah, yeah. It made me feel uncomfortable because not so long ago she was like an, a ten year old girl. Yes, so, yeah. so it, so that was weird. But uh, um, but you're right about the Tyrion Jamie stuff too. And it was, you know, the best line in that scene between the two of them. Well. Let me say first of all, those two actors have great chemistry. Oh, maybe some, yeah. m- maybe some of the best chemistry on the show is between um, Jamie and Tyrion yep. and the actors who play them. Um, and so, but I thought the best line was when Tyrion said, "No, you always knew who she was. Yep. You just loved her anyway." And it was both a sympathetic statement, but it was also a statement that to not let him let himself off the hook um he always knew who she was and she loved her and he loved her anyway so then dot 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 what does that say about jamie like what should that say to himself that he knew she was a monster and he loved her anyway so yeah he the things you do for love uh, right. When Bran said that, I was like, oh, my God, this is too perfect. Uh, and just I imagined being in like a movie theater with other Game of Thrones fans and everyone going, ah. Um, but, yeah, that was a great line. And throughout the conversation that they have and later on, too, I like the way that Tyrion kind of refuses to believe wholeheartedly that either of them are completely different. You know, they still are who they are and the things that they've done, they still did them. So the idea that we have as fans, this redemption journey, you know, I like the way it was done in this show. And I like the way it was done with Jamie because it's not straightforward. He's not a great man. He has a lot of failing failings as does Tyrion, as does all of our characters and I don't want to see Jamie become the knight in shining armor. He right. is who he is. We've, we've traveled this journey with him. And Tyrion is like keeping him honest. Yeah. You know, like, look, Jamie, you, 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 you benefited from this romanticized version of being a knight for so long. If you're really going to change, I'm not going to give that to you anymore. I'm not going to treat you like you're somehow special, more specialer now because you were a bastard who realized that you should be nicer to people. Yeah. Well, his, I mean, that what you just said is super smart because his obsession with knighthood is sort of like Cersei's obsession with red wine. It's like, it's both of, it's, it's the thing they both use to sort of get themselves through moments and through days. Like, I think Jamie likes to tell himself that he's, that because he's a knight, that maybe makes up for some of this other stuff. Or, um, yep. but he's but he's him. just but he's just fooling himself. <laughs> yep. Which which makes that scene with Brienne where he asks to fight under her even more interesting because then, um, you know it it. Is it another step on his journey? Um, is it because of his personal feelings for her, which they obviously both have personal feelings for each other, regardless of what they actually are. Yeah. Um, and so, but it was a great, um, it was a great place for him to put himself. Um, 
Yeah, I, and then we'll, I thought it worked. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to say, I think it worked perfectly. I yeah. thought it was very believable. I thought that it was very sensible that he would, that that is part of their journey together, uh, yeah. a kind of reversal here. And um, she did beat him. I mean, I guess he had his hands tied, but she did beat him. Uh, wait, he untied his hands at one point, didn't he? Or no, I think he had his hands tied on the bridge. Yeah, but he had been tied up. He had been in a cage for a few months. <laughs> There's no excuses in war, Ken. You that's lose true, a battle. You lose a battle. Now, uh, <laughs> I I have a question for you. If 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 we both accept that she has romantic feelings for him, yeah. Does do you think he has romantic feelings for her? I think he could, but um, someone on the Twitter before we came on said, you know. I just want Jamie to tell Brienne he loves her and all that. And I was like, if I was Brienne, I would look back at him and I'd be like, yo, I ain't your rebound knight. You know, you just (laughs) left your nasty incest filled relationship with your sister and three of your kids died. And uh, maybe we should like get to know each other better a little bit first. And so that's why I'm not so sure that that's going to develop this season. I think maybe they'll have a friendship, but also I must admit to you, I think that she'd be better off with Torment. I think he's a better guy. I think he's an earner. I think he's dependable. And I think he's funny. He he stole the whole show. Yes, I want her did. to be with Torment. I have never wanted Jamie and Brienne to be together because I always thought that Brienne could do better. That's just well, the, the way I feel. I I I agree with you. But um, oh, to answer your question, I'm sorry, Ken. I do think he has feelings for her, but I think yeah. even for him it's too soon. Well, also, it should probably be enough that he has feelings for her and that he allowed himself to be affected by her. Yes. Yeah. And as a viewer, that should probably be enough for us that he opened himself up to her yeah. um, and that he allowed himself to be um, to change because of his relationship with her. Yeah. Um, True. Because not every man would be open to that. Not every person would be open to that, to allow another person to change them or to alter them. Um, So the fact that that happened at all um, is probably great in and of itself. Yes, Um, I agree. And that's why I think easy does it. Let's uh, let them get to know each other and we'll see. Here's what wasn't easy does it. Let's talk about (laughs) Arya and Gendry. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to sound bad because, you know, she is a woman and she has desires and I'm all about it. And I, that's not what bothered me, but still she is out of all the, I guess she just hasn't grown that much. And I don't want, you know, it's not ever nice to comment on people's looks or whatever, but I will say that Macy will, she still looks rather young to me, you know? And I do see her that way. And I just, you know, Gendry's like this, he's like the hottest guy on the show now. I mean, come on. He's like a boy band dream. You know what I'm saying? He's singing that Jenny song with like five other dudes in formation. (laughs) But I just, it was tough for me. I'm going to work through it. I think the character deserves to have what she wants. She took it. I like that. They, They always had a thing and that's great. But I, I might fast forward past that on the rewatch. I agree with you <laughs> with one caveat. Uh, I challenge you to 
I, I, I encourage you to probably, I'm, I'm not going to fight with you about fast forwarding, to it, <laughs> but when you think about the scenes in the future, I would challenge you to maybe think about this aspect of it. I think that she think about it transactionally. Like she wanted um, to further her education. She wanted an experience. She wanted information. Um, and it, and there were certain moments in their interaction tonight that seemed somewhat clinical from her point of view. Um, first, she was asking him a lot of questions about the dead. She wanted info and intel. And then um, she got the weapon from him. Um, and then I think she wanted to know, she literally just wanted to know what it would feel like to be with him. And then that look on her face during the song montage, when they're both in bed together and he's asleep and she is not asleep. And she has a look on her face, like, um, well, not a blissful. I just had sex and it was wonderful. Look, it was more like a, um, end of the graduate look. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yep, it was an end of the graduate look. That's yeah. exactly what it was. And that's an interesting point too, Ken, because there it was very transactional and yeah. it was not, she didn't say, um, I've thought about you so much right. all this time, even though I've changed in so many ways, the one thing that remained in my heart, Gendry, was the time we had together. And right. how you treated me like a human being when no one else did. Right. And I love you. And I want to be with you. Nah, she was like, yo, how many times have you had sex? Three? Okay, good. That means you know it. Right. That means you can perform it. Now let's do it. And I think that that's a challenge to herself and her new self. She's so young. Think about all she's been through. And though she, you know, though she is a faceless person now, she is still Arya Stark. And like you said, she has to find that balance within herself and maybe, maybe we'll see them do it again with passion, not, not just lust or looking for experience. And maybe there'll be, you know, that kind of twinkle in her eye that John got with the grit. Yeah. Um, Because I don't think that she has woken up from bed with Gendry, like wholly feeling anew, you know, this wasn't like a kind of mind body experience that she had it really you're right it was more mind and more transactional and maybe that's what bothered it about me too ken maybe i would have been a little bit more into it if there had been an expression um of uh, what do i i don't want to say frailty you just openness you know um, well, it her. was definitely, I feel like from his point of view, he wanted to romanticize Yes, I, I agree. Yeah. He and acted she it like was that the too. One. And because he was sort of the befuddled, couldn't complete a sentence, kind of, you know, his tongue was getting like, like tangled up in words. Yeah. So he was kind of the befuddled one and he wanted to romanticize it. And she was like the, in some ways she was like, the insensitive dude in this relationship yeah, who, totally. who, who just like wanted something yeah. <laughs> transactionally. Um, and he was kind of like the feminine side of that usual relationship where he kind of wanted to romanticize it. And he, I, I think he has like genuine feelings for her and kind of not afraid to show them to a certain extent. Yeah. So 
Um, I agree with you. I don't think this is the end of their relationship. I just think um, that this is where Aria is right now. Yeah, definitely. And and maybe this is where she has to be. So, yeah. Did you have, I'm still a little confused about the weapon he made for her. It looks like a double-sided spear, but then in the drawing, it looked detachable. Yeah. So I guess I guess we're going to have to wait till we actually see her using it in battle to see what it ultimately does. Yeah. I thought the same thing. When he handed it to her, I was like, man, we spent a lot of time freeze framing that stupid picture. It's just a big spear like she was playing with with dragon glass at the end of it. But right. I think you're right. There was looked as though he had done some work towards like the top of the shaft where it met the dragon stone. And Though and the drawing too, maybe it's just that Arya is going to, you know, get the Night King at night, and we're going to see her try to do that little do her dance in total darkness, you know, like she can do. Maybe they'll bring that back. I don't know. They're making a big deal out of it, Ken. They are. You know, like, that's why we're talking about it. If it was just, if he had just handed her a weapon, I think maybe we'd mention it once. But, like, they're doing their kind of Dan and Dave telegraphing thing. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. That's all I have to say about it. It looks like a stick with dragon glass on it, but it looks like it might shoot. He did make it for her. That's kind of a little bit of their bond. I thought that was kind of cool. But do you have anything else on that? I think that they're deliberately leaving information out yeah. so that we're surprised when she actually uses it in battle. And then we're like, ah, cool. Um, <laughs> it does this. Which we will be. <laughs> of course. And we'll freeze frame it and rewind it and because it'll be such a cool moment, right? Yeah. Um, now, you have so, in the notes here um, the chat, uh, Arya's chat with the Hound. It looks like we're both moving to that. It was nice to see them chat again. I don't think these two are ever going to be like, let's let our hair down and braid yeah. each other's hair and and have a slumber party and talk for hours. <laughs> like, they're never going to be those people. Um, so once again, they sort of had this minimal dialogue interaction. And if anything, once again, he seemed like the one who wanted more out of it. Um he seemed more frustrated by by her, um, and she was content to just come sit by him, I think. Um, I think it's I got, always been like that. Yeah, that's true. I think it's always been like that. I think that the Hound always looked at her like you came from this great family, and like in some ways – he kind of wanted to have her life in a way. And then she was kind of like his big brother was never a big brother to him. So now he can kind of be a big brother, a dad like figure to someone else. And it made him feel kind of important. And I feel like instead of what we normally think, which is that like Arya's waiting for this older, more established man with a name to say to her, you know, Hey, I love you kid. I really feel more like it's the hound is just waiting and waiting and waiting for her to say, thank you. Or I, or I'm part, I, I, I made it because of you. Yes. You know? So it's yeah. kind of sad. I love the hound. He's such a sweetheart. So I wonder what would have happened had not, had Barrick not come by. Like mm. 
where would that scene have gone? Would they both just continue to have sit there in silence or would one of them have, has said something else or, um, cause he, he had just said, she had just said, when was the last time you did anything that wasn't for yourself? And, and then he said, well, I defended you. And then, and then there was a beat and then, and then Barrett came in. Yeah. So, um, he was kind of, of course, an answer in a way, though, wasn't he, Ken? That's a good point. Absolutely, he was an answer. Yes. So he was, yeah. He, that's what I thought when I was watching. I thought he was going to mention that, you know, and I thought he was going to mention his time with Al Swearingen. But instead, he the conversation turned. And I feel like in a way, that was a, a writing technique that um, – to kind of show us at home, oh, we're right. He has become something better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like that. And I love, and every, anytime Barrett comes in and starts talking, I love it. I love he, his voice, man. Oh my God. Yeah. He's got like a Jorah voice, right? Like him and Jorah <laughs> could like read the dictionary and I would be enthralled. Yeah. It's really good, man. It's really good. And and it was and I like again, we have to mention, I mean, we're we're kind of going through it and the humorous parts, this was without a doubt, and it was like so much gallows humor too, because they're all about to maybe die. This was the funniest episode of Game of Thrones ever. It was. And even Daenerys was funny. Like like John, she's rarely funny. Yeah. But she had a funny line that made me like spit up water. Um, yeah. And lots of people had fun. Like Tormund. Oh, God. I, yeah. I totally agree with you. He stole the whole episode. <laughs> like his origin story, hilarious. <laughs> I didn't like, I, was, I was listening to him. And man, what a great actor. Jamie just sold it, you know? How he was just, they kept on going back to him. And you know that when they're shooting, they do a bunch of shots of reaction shots of everyone. So then they can pick them out. (laughs) And then, you know, they have maybe him tell this, or they just say, okay, everyone quiet on set. All right, you're listening to Tormund. What the hell is he talking about? And Jamie just totally sold it. And it was so cute, too. You know, it really made, that's why I love Tormund because. He's so gruff, but he's like a little child, you know, and yes. and he just wants to connect with people and he tells his funny stories and it's obvious that he's just being, you know, braggadocious, but right. he doesn't care and it's funny. And that it, there was just so much humor in this episode I that agree. I really loved. But it was really like... um it wasn't sticky humor. It was, yeah. a, it, it was really natural humor that came out of these natural situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot and, of it was earned too from us watching the show for so long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, looks like Tyrion is out of the doghouse. Um, finally, but I have a question for you and I, I, here's what I thought kind of along the same lines of what we were talking about with Danny a few minutes ago, how, in Slaver's Bay, it was easy because she was up against such evil people, and now she's she's walking a trickier line. I wonder if being if dealing with his family all those years made it easier for him, and now 
that he's not dealing with his family. They're not the main protagonists of his life anymore. I wonder if Tyrion is finding it a little more difficult to navigate these political waters. I 100% agree with you. I think that this season he continues to look forlorn, forlorn and, and, and a little just taken down a few pegs. He continues to act in a style. I spoke about this with he solo where he seems to always be leaning back mm-hmm. as though something is coming at him as though he's waiting. He's it's, it's a little bit of a regression and it worries me. It, it kind of worries me, man, because there were some good scenes in here and I liked the last episode. He was funny with Davos, but the way he looked at Jamie's quote unquote trial and yeah. whenever he was around Daenerys or around people of power, when he was drinking with the boys, you know, remember what he said? Let's keep drinking, you know? Yes. And after he had said to Jamie, oh, I can't be whoring and drinking anymore, but he kind of regressed. And that's something we see again and again in this show. And that's what makes it so wonderful. People do not progress or regress in a straight line. You take a step forward, you take a step back. And I think Tyrion has been brought down a couple notches. He's in a he's in a distant land. He feels which should be his home, Westeros, but he feels like it's not. He's in the north. You know, he doesn't re- he needs other people to stand up for him for Danny. His brother arrives and it's a very uncomfortable situation. His sister is is still their nemesis, right? Yeah, yeah. And lie to him. But what's what's really great about it, it's the pack survives and people yeah. come to his defense. And Danny just, she does, she's got to chill a little. She just keeps on yelling at him in front of everyone. Yeah. It's a little like, are they, they have to be writing this on purpose. She is just taking him down in front of other people all the time. Well, I think that's part of the whole thing. Like, I think Danny, um, I think that this is still a story where people are still evolving, even in, you know, the final six episodes yeah. of the story. Yeah. And Danny is still trying to figure out what kind of leader is she? How am I going to treat my subordinates? Um, and I, I still don't know if we know where Danny's going to end up on. Like what side is she going to end up on a tyrant or is she really going to break the wheel? Um, we're going to talk about her scene with Sansa later. So I have some thoughts about that, but I think her treatment of Tyrion is sort of yet another example of her growing pains yeah. when it comes to being a leader. I totally agree because it's not helping anything. Yeah. You know, it's not helping if she, the same way in which she came to Sansa and she was like, I know what's going on. Your brother, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, she could talk, come to Tyrion and instead of yelling at him, say, say, well, my hand, you certainly are in quite a position, aren't you? Your sister wants to kill us. Your brother lie, you know, like she should have some empathy for him and this is going to be the final, you know, test for her. We'll talk about it. But for Tyrion, 
He actually said, too, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be the hand. Yeah. Which is a hell of a thing to say to other people. And I like the way Jorah came to his defense because Jorah has been the victim, in a sense, maybe, of Danny being so tough and dressing him down in front of other people, you know? Absolutely. So yeah. he knows what it's like. And I thought that was great. Jorah's awesome. Man. Jorah had, he had some, he got the sword. He had a little bit of a, you know, Jorah's stepping up. He's not, maybe he's not going to be friend zone forever. <laughs> oh, he's always going to be friend yeah. zone. He'll probably be dead zone is what he'll be <laughs> next episode. But let <laughs> me see. But, and, and, and even though like one part of me is, is completely 100% happy for Jorah that he's a stand-up guy that he defended someone that he doesn't particularly like. Um, he got, he got the Valyrian sword from Sam. Great. The flip side of it is that um, there was a time when Tyrion could have talked himself out of anything. Yep. Yeah. And did. So, so Jorah had to defend Tyrion. Tyrion didn't defend himself. And Tyrion, like, think about his trial at the Eyrie in season one, where, and and then he met the hill people on his way out of the Eyrie. Tyrion could literally, you got the sense he could talk himself out of any situation. Yep. Any corner he found himself in, he could talk his way out of it. But now he's he sort of has gotten to a place for, I think, mo- probably multiple reasons, where he's finding that more difficult. Yeah. He he is. And I think I want to mention this because it's out there and we have it from last season. And there was a point here where I can't remember if it was he and Jamie, um, where he made an illusion. What maybe it was when he talked about the whoring and drinking that I thought, wait a second, everyone was convinced at the end of last season that the reason he was looking down the hallway at John and Danny was because he's got the hots for Danny and he's yeah. fallen in love with her. Do you think that's where they're going with this? I do not think so. Yeah, no. I don't either. No. Yeah, I don't either. I think that would be silly at this point. Um, and I mean, what is he going to do? Like run to her before she gets on the dragon? By the way, I love you. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? You know I'm with John, homie. We got a war to fight. I, yeah, I don't think so. But I just wanted to mention it. I think if anything, that look, at this point, I feel like that look meant, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. I think this is yeah. going to complicate things, yeah. which it sort of is. So um, if that's what he was concerned about, he was sort of right about that. Um, because I feel like their romantic relationship is sort of complicating things. It is. Um, and maybe at, that's why, maybe he's a little upset about that, Ken. Maybe at, if we get a quiet point, he might say something like, I just don't know where I stand. Yeah. Well, I think that he is still trying to find his place. And yeah. I think probably killing his father, killing Shay, losing that adversarial relationship with his father, which for all of his life had defined him. I don't think he's found a way to fill that void yet. And I still think he's trying to figure that out. Definitely. Um, Now you have next on the notes, which is something that I'm glad that we're going to talk about, which is all of the scenes of building defenses at Winterfell. 
It's so needed because so rarely in these genre stories do we get to see the nuts and bolts of how battles are, are prepared for. And like the, 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 the literal planning and execution of like, you know, sharpening spears and putting dragon glass all, all, all over the place. And um, I even noticed dragon glass on like the edges of the castle so that if people were climb, if white walkers were climbing up and they reached up to grab something, they would grab onto dragon glass, which is great. I thought, and I have to say, I did that little live stream early in the day. And one of the things I was saying is you don't hear enough people talking about how they're going to just all die. Like really they have no chance. You know what I mean? Like Danny could have multiple, she could have double the dragons and they'd still probably have no chance because who knows how much larger the army is at this point when they get there and the methodology of the zombies of that herd and not even, you know, I think back that they showed us the Night King. Remember outside of um, the Three-Eyed Raven Nest where when it was the end of what season? It was Hold the Door. Yes. yes the yes. Night King slams his hand down or something and this thing goes through the ground. It's like he can control, he can manipulate weather and ice like that. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if all this preparation is for naught and all of those guys that we saw lining up, all 100 of Craster's sons or whatever, are going to be able to go whoosh. Like they have a special power that we don't know that's even going to knock all that dragon glass away. But I was glad to see it because it actually... For a second, I was like, oh, okay, they're actually formulating a plan. They're just putting it everywhere because they know all it has to do is touch a yes. white and they'll explode. So right. if it's all, if it's on all those battlements and those like logs strapped together and on the ground and they're flying in the air, at least they could, like they keep on talking about, it, at least we can slow them down. A little bit, you know, but I thought it was so important to show all that. And I'm really glad that they did it. And I'm glad that they had all these scenes of people eating and people, that little girl who looked like, um, uh, Shireen. Yeah. That I love, I love, I, this episode just really made me happy because I got a real sense of not only our stars hanging out in the top of the castle, but that they were now amongst the, the, little people so quote unquote you know in all of the other battles we see it's always guys the big guys the big men lined up and we're gonna go fight but this really makes me feel like this is a army of the people yes you know like the guy said i don't know i i don't know i'm not a soldier and then davos was like neither was i but i survived the battle of uh the battle of the bastards right outside these walls i like that camaraderie I like how they're setting that up for how we talked about in our last chat, setting up a kind of more democratic society afterwards that's based on the people coming together. I totally agree with you. I thought Brian Cogman did a really great job writing this script uh, that uh, for tonight's episode. Just really clever ways of showing how people were preparing in the background, in the forefront. Um, there were lots of... Um, 
lines about how the small folk were a lot of the small folk were going to gather in the crypts for protection and um you got to see pod um training with with some other dude and 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 then you got to see how far he's come because now he's teaching someone um the way that brianne was teaching him um and so you just got to see like and sometimes it was just like our main characters walking by things and you could see people doing things in the background as they walked by. So sometimes it's like just something that maybe you didn't catch, but it was also atmospheric that you got a general sense is that these people are all working together and having the little girl talk to Gilly and Davos was great because then that's like the face of the small people who aren't necessarily going to fight, but they have just as much of a stake in the situation as everyone else. Yeah, it really was cool. And just a note, um, production wise, anytime you have shots like that, it makes it so much harder. It makes it just so much harder to block it, to shoot it, um, to know you've got a shot. And that does take a lot of work. Like I could see some people looking at this episode and be like, where's the budget? It's a bottle episode. No, the budget is in every single frame that takes time and time is money and all the extras that are around. uh, It's just really, they did a great job with that. I really loved it. All right. Going to take a little break here. Ken and I are having fun. Breaking down this episode, want to remind you to go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code GOT20 to get 20% off. You can also always use code DVR20 to get 20% off your order. No minimum required. Cufflinks.com is a family-owned business. They're great people, and they believe in great quality products, and that's what you get. So check it out at cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast, cufflinks.com. And all you listeners, go visit cufflinks.com slash DVR to support us and cufflinks. Now back to the show. Um, and along with preparing, uh, you have Grey Worm still preparing. And he had this great little scene with Masande. And I, I guess the one thing I would say about it, it was like a, you know, a, a one or two minute interaction between the two of them. It's nice to see two people sort of empowered to sort of craft their own the ending that they would like to see for themselves now whether or not they're going to get this happy ending on her island her home island who knows they mo they may both perish in before the end of the story but the fact that they had a conversation about what they would like to do and what they feel empowered to do um was still a great moment for them. Totally agree. It was, I, I have always liked them. I, I've always enjoyed that the show takes a little time to show us their relationship. Um, and I thought it was cool. And they do the little kiss before he runs off, which remember in the beginning of their relationship was so tough for him. Yeah. And he's, you know, it's hard for me to say goodbye because I've never had anything I could lose. So that was great, man. I thought it was great. And speaking of lose, a man who has lost something dear has returned. Our man, Theon. <laughs> he's a little lighter. Yep. He, he's a little less Theon, but he's still Theon, right? Um, I teared up. Like, I honestly teared up when he returned and Sansa had the reaction that she had to him returning. Yeah. Um, it was a nice, you know, when 
when Arya smiled and ran to John into John's arms last week, that was like a moment of like the little girl Arya that we met in the first season. When Sansa ran to Theon in this episode and started crying and hugged him, that reminded me of like first, second season Sansa. Um, like she let her armor down, her yeah, like met- her her metaphorical armor down, um, and was just like this this dude. I think of him as a brother. He was raised with us. I love him. He saved me from Ramsey, um, or he helped save me from Ramsey. So when he returned, like that, I got emotional because of Sansa's reaction. Um, later on, when he defended, when he pledged himself to defend Bran in, um, in uh, by the tree, um, uh, I just thought, you know, th- this guy has come a long way. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I mean, he's such a great actor, and everybody yeah. always says that about the show. Like, he's such a great actor, but he had that whole two seasons with Ramsey, and it was tough. And he showed what a great actor he is, and he showed it here because. You could see even just him holding himself up higher, you know, and yeah. presenting himself and saying his name, which is important. <laughs> I don't want to say Reek. <laughs> I, and I, I agree too. Sansa showed real vulnerability in this episode that she hasn't shown in a while. And yeah. you know what? It is needed for her character. And it is um, natural to me because like we had spoken about, and a lot of people have noticed, she has to find herself now. This is the first time in her life she's had the ability to make choices and be free and speak her mind. And so she did come up. She was very gruff. And now she's actually in the heat of the real battle here and everything happening. She is softening up a little bit. And there were two or three scenes with Danny, with it, but she's still tough. She, she has to find that balance. Now, let me ask you this. When they gave the hug and I saw how emotional Sansa got, it did, I was like, wow. And it was mostly because it was Sansa and she's been so tough, you know, she's had to have been so tough lately. But then when they had that little scene of them kind of eating together, you know, in the montage. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I was feeling like, am I just like, am I doing the typical thing where you ship everyone or were they kind of. <laughs> Really feeling comfortable together. Maybe it's just a friendship. You know what I'm saying? But I I don't know. I think that Sansa feels closer to Theon currently than she feels to any of her other siblings. True. That's it's a good point. Because they shared the Ramsey Bolton nightmare together. And I think that bonded them in a way um, that um that can't be described or quantified. So um, I think in some weird way, she feels closer to Theon than she does to Arya, John, Bran. Um, and, and so I, I tend to think that that was the moment we saw during the montage is just her, um, both of them seeking solace in each other. Um, but who knows? I mean, I, yeah. I'm not, uh, I, I would be surprised if 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 it went further, um, but that doesn't mean it's not impossible, right? So of course, of course, love is love. We want you know, <laughs> go Theon, go Theon. Um, <laughs> all 
let's talk a little bit about this scene I really liked, which is the kind of Bran talks to everybody and lays out his plan of being used as bait. And Theon says he's going to protect him um, out near the Godswood. I this I, I have to say this about the scene. I am a little frustrated and I'm getting more used to it. And this scene helped me get there with the level of what Bran knows, who knows, what he'll tell people, why he will and will not tell people, you know? Um, And I think they've laid out enough to know that the character himself doesn't know, right? Like he's pretty much said that. Um, But I love the connection between Sam and Bran and the understanding there, which is hopefully leading up to my idea of them being like the intelligence unit and kind of sitting in a room together and, and Sam walking him through the history and them learning together. Yeah. And I'm surprised they're not already there yet, but they kind of did that in front of everyone. Um, I thought it was interesting the way, again, Brand so unemotionally, he's like, he wants me. We must use me for bait. He, it's like he can't, he does kind of need other people to maybe step in and say, yeah, but we're going to need you later too, man. You can like see things. So I wonder, is Bran really kind of like making a bad choice here? And they're kind of going along with it because he's Mr. Mind Reader guy, you know, can see everything. They're kind of trusting him. But I was a little surprised that someone in the room wasn't like, in the same way that Danny told Tyrion to go down to the crypts, which I think we'll get to, I think is a horrible idea. But I thought someone was going to be like, no, Bran, we're not doing this. I agree with you. Um, And uh, it'll be interesting to see how next week plays out specifically about what what we're talking about right right now with Bran. Um, I don't often criticize the show. I will say that I agree with you that even though they've shed some light and this episode helped shed even more light on brand's abilities. I think the show could probably do a little better of a job, at least to indicate that he's overwhelmed by his abilities and that, that maybe he's having some difficulty sorting out um, the sea of images that he's being inundated with. Um, So, and maybe that's why he can't tell everyone everything he knows because he himself is having difficulty sorting out everything he knows. But putting that aside, um, the thing I loved about the scene is that we finally got an answer to the question, what was the relationship between the old Three-Eyed Raven and the Night King? Because they seem to have an antagonistic relationship, and now we know why. Now we finally have an answer. The Night King hates the Three-Eyed Raven because the Three-Eyed Raven is man's memory. And and the Night King wants to wipe out man and the memory of man. Um, And so that seems to be the answer to the question, and I was glad to get that answer. So was I. And I thought it was put in a good way too, because there's so many theories flying fast and furious and I'm part of it too, baby. I'm hopping it on it, but I like to hop off and say, yeah, it's good to say, oh, he's a Targaryen. He's a Stark. He's a this, he's a that, you know, who's the Night King? Why is he doing what he's doing? But Bran kind of put it very succinctly. And it also 
again, which I'll go back to that scene when we see him become the Night King. And like I said, when we were talking, he's a cripple, bastard, and broken thing. And he is looking for vengeance. And he is to be hurt like that, to want to take revenge like that, I should say, you got to be hurt. And to be hurt, you got to care, right? So there is a drama there. And I like, I thought that was, again, Cogman, I thought that was great writing. I thought that was a very succinct way of putting it, and it didn't disappoint me. I thought it was a very plausible explanation, and I thought it put Bran into place, and I thought everyone in the room, it gave them an opportunity to see the stakes again, that they're not just fighting to defend Winterfell or fighting at the Stark's house. They're literally fighting for their species. Yes. That's some, that's some big stuff. The entire war council scene was so economically written. Yeah. Not just the brand dialogue, but just like the John stuff at the beginning. Um, and you, once again, you don't often see war councils on the eve of a battle um, in in fantasy stories like this. You usually just see the battle and then, and then, you know, the good guys just, you know, do what they're going to do. So, um, to, to, to be able to see everyone, mostly everyone at this war council was great. And Bran's participation in it was, um, kind of the focal point should have been the focal point and, and it was executed. I thought really brilliantly. Yeah, I like the way you put it. It was economical and it had a good mix of the character stuff, the myth stuff and the war and the practicalities of we're going to fight a battle. Yeah. You know, now we didn't get totally into that. We found out a little information. Brienne's on the left flank. This is, you know, so that's given us a little hint of where people are going to be positioned because I have a feeling um, that in this battle, we're going to see next episode. I think that's pretty obvious. We're going to, it is going to come into play all those great top down wide shots we saw of Winterfell in the yeah. first episode with the dragon. And it's going to give us a great sense of place like they did um, at the uh, Battle of Castle Black, which I thought yes. was really cool the way they kept on going over the wall and back over here and giving you a sense of place where people are and how it affects the actual logistics of the battle. So that was kind of cool. Well, here's something else I'll throw at you. I think they had to do the first two episodes this way, if for no other reason. I think part of the reasons why they did the first two episodes this way is so that, and it, this is going to piggyback off what you just said, is so that viewers could reacquaint themselves with the geography yeah. of Winterfell. Yeah. So that once the battle begins next weekend, and it's a... Um, I think it's going, it's going to be a night battle. I think viewers will now be like, oh, I know where Arya is. I know yeah. where John is. I know where Danny is. I, and, and they'll be able to tell where people are in relation to each other in this huge kind of sprawling complex. Exactly. And it's so cool too, because it reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of last season when we really saw Dragonstone for the first time we had been there with Stannis, but they purposefully didn't show it to us. I know it was a different set, blah, 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 but I'm saying right. thematically, I didn't mean blah, blah, blah to you, Ken. I meant I had this discussion before. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. I wasn't saying that to you. No, it's okay. Um, But I was just thinking in my head, the naysayer. And I was saying um, that I understand that. They they changed it, but they made a decision. We're not going to show this to you 
wholly and completely wide shot little where the throne room is until Danny gets there. And I feel like even after all this time, we kind of know Winterfell. We've seen it on a cliff and all, but they're actually showing us so much more on purpose. So exactly what you said, we can be accustomed for this like hour and a half long battle that's going to take us from this part to that part. And it's probably going to involve crazy cool CGI where they're going down hallways and up from the crypts and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I thought that was a great scene too. And I like the whole board. They always have those things. I want to see who makes those. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do they get the guy? Oh, hey, look, we need more of this piece over here. Cause they always have yeah. the right pieces and everything, you know? I don't know. Well, 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 that's what I want. I, like who makes all those pieces? Like is yeah. someone whittling? Like you know? Oh, it was Shireen. Oh, don't talk about whittling. You're gonna make me sad now. Aww. Oh no! All right, it's let's too talk. Soon. Yeah, let's talk about your woman Sansa, who I thought this episode was a, just a really. I was happy. I thought that Danny and Sansa were gonna be besties, and they started. They got to get over Danny's power messiah complex. But they giggled a little bit together. They 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 felt they held hands. Sansa was open. She was willing to be open, which says a lot, you know. Yeah. She didn't have to trust Danny, right? Yeah. And um, I just thought this was a great scene. I I have a question for you because of the way the scene originated. Because Jorah was like. I have one more suggestion for you, mm-hmm. which presumably was you should go talk to Sansa because then that was the next scene. Oh, because remember he's, yeah. he's standing, he's standing up for Tyrion and then he's like, I have one more suggestion for you and then cut. And then Danny's walking in to talk to Sansa. Um, so presumably he suggested that she go talk to Sansa. So because of that, here's my question. Was Danny, in your opinion, genuine? Like, was the nice stuff genuine? Or was she trying to butter Sansa up? That's a good question. At first, I thought you were going to come up with a theory like, that's not actually what he told her. That was just the next scene. Um, which could be. They've done that before. They've done stuff like that before. But I don't know if we're really going to have time to get back to that at this point. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I thought that. It was a little, as I was watching it, I was kind of doubting Danny a little bit. And I was, I was just always waiting for her to be like, but I'm the Khaleesi, you know, which she eventually did. So I did feel a little bit like maybe it was manufactured when she got there and started. But then when Sansa opened up to her. Yeah. They actually got somewhere. And you know what? That's okay because that's the way life happens. Yeah. You don't always go to someone with the best intentions. We've all done it. And I think it's realistic to have the conversation begin. And it does seem probably we'll do a rewatch. I'll talk about it with Heath. And it probably I wouldn't be surprised upon rewatch to see that the scene seems as if Danny is kind of, you know, yeah, she's kind of uh, kissing her ass a little bit, you know, to try to get in. But once Sansa opens up, I think Danny was kind of like, oh, wow, we're really talking here, you know? And she became more vulnerable. Well, regardless of Danny's motivations, I completely agree with you that Sansa 
seemed authentic through the entire com- conversations. The, the sort of tense beginning, the opening up, the I didn't give this woman a chance. Yeah. The her her line where she says, I, I should have thanked you the moment you arrived. It was a mistake. I mean that 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 it was it was very humbling for Sansa to say that out loud to Danny. Um, and then kind of the joking about, about their love life, about her love life. And <laughs> he was taller. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, certainly was, was. That was really funny because that's one of the things I noticed when Kit Harrington was on Saturday night live. Yeah. You know, I forget I'm a tall dude. I always forget kind of how tall I am too. And then I see people and I'm like, wow, I'm really tall. And he's, he really is, he's only like, I think he's like, I actually, I don't even know how tall you are, Ken, but he's like five, six, I think. I think the Maybe only five, thing that saves seven? him, I think you're right. And I think if, if, uh, if Amelia Clark weren't like five, four, yeah. five, five, then there would be serious issues. <laughs> they, oh, they with- have the apple boxes out with him, man. You can tell. Like when he walks up to like Tormund and the other guys and they're doing the shot reverse shots that John is like a bit taller than he should be. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, that doesn't say anything. You don't have to be tall to be a hero. But I thought it was kind of funny how she said it, which which in a sense I thought was it pointed to the reason why I do buy the John and Danny love story. And I know um, our friend Donald who uh, is not podcasting with us right now, but it, it remains a part of the crew and on Twitter just hates this thing. He thinks it's fan service, but I buy it because I think that they're like these, it's like when two big powerful people can get in a room and all of a sudden they can take their jackets off and, and, and be real. And that's how I feel with John and Danny. I've believed their, their scenes together. Now I think I sometimes feel it's coming a little bit more from him, you know, the acting part, uh, because she's so I'm Danny, but here I really like the way she said of that, you know, he's, you know, he was taller and it's kind of cute because it's saying, I know John wasn't always this guy. Yeah. You know, I know who your brother is, you know, I know he's just your brother to you too. And I also know that, He's a bastard, and before he got to the Night's Watch, like, I, I know him, and I know he's just a person. And I thought that was really kind of sweet, and the way Sansa reacted was great, and I liked the way Sansa challenged her. She was the one who brought it up at the end, yeah, you know, about the North. It wasn't Danny, and uh, she was testing the waters, and um, Danny bit. Yeah, and she took her hand away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I don't know. I mean, do you think, I mean, they're going to go back and forth with forth with this and we're going to talk about Danny and John, but, um, I just, I I don't know. It's going to be hard. It's hard for me to imagine Danny ever not having that Messiah complex. That's so much a part of who she is. Well, I think, I think Danny thinks that. Her sitting on the Iron Throne will break the wheel. And I'm beginning to think that she doesn't understand that the Iron Throne itself is the wheel. 100%, brother. You are right. Yep. 
And I don't think she understands that anyone sitting in that chair is going to perpetuate the wheel. Yep. Even if you have the best intentions, which I totally believe she does. Um, and so I, and, and I don't know if she's willing to break the wheel in that way. If it means not sitting on the throne or not having the throne, I don't know how she would feel about that. Yeah. I, I, and, 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 and Ken, she's still bringing up her, her fr- freaking father right. who everybody right. has already told her, right. stop bringing up your crazy ass father. It ain't getting you any points with anyone. I mean, going back to sell me saying, you know, look, okay, look, guess what? Your brother, he was actually a great guy, but yeah. your father, he was hard. He was like the devil. So the fact that you're bringing that up to Danny, me and my brothers would talk about, I thought that rang so hollow. And I almost felt like someone was going to interrupt her at some point. And, and, you know, I was, I had said, mentioned it before, maybe it would be Varys or something, you know, um, Varys, I never pronounced the name right, uh, but he'd probably make fun of me. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, I thought somebody was going to say, Hey, enough about your father. You know what I mean? Like, do you really want to remind us of that mad queen? And I just, it's just going to be tough. And I think maybe. And I'm not making it. Th- I just thought of this. A way f- is for her to get knocked down a few pegs again. Maybe lose another dragon. Maybe n- not feel like she's so powerful. You know? It just seems like Danny actually kind of has to be shown things. You know? Well, I think the final peg will be... Will probably involve the, the final scene of this episode moving forward. Sorry after this big battle next yeah, weekend. Yeah. So um, speaking of battling next weekend, I feel like the reason why they showed ghost yes. standing behind John <laughs> is because he's probably going to yeah. figure prominently in the fighting next weekend. Yeah. Or he's going to be going down a tunnel and then all these dead are going to crowd around him and just kill him or something. Uh, oh wait, we <laughs> wait. That was the other one. Um, That's right. But uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. I said to my wife, see, the funny thing is, Ken, I'm a dog owner. I have two dogs. I love my dogs. They're um, they're even half pit bull. So, you know, people, I, I had to kind of get over that fear too. And people hear that and they, you know, so I know what it's like to have a dog that is maybe scary looking, you know? Yeah. And uh, I feel for him, but I've never been like the dog watcher, the dire wolf watcher. And let me tell you something. If you want to go on Twitter and you want to find a group of people who are dedicated to watching something, these dire wolves popping up in the show is like a major thing. You know, world <laughs> markets could be moved on whether or not a dire wolf shows up in Game of Thrones. Yeah. And as soon as I saw a ghost, I said to my wife, it's ghost. And she was like, oh, why do you care so much? You know, you never cared about it. We, you love the dogs. Say, I, everyone on Twitter convinced me I've got to be watching out for when these dogs pop up. But I loved it, and I totally thought so, too. They're not just going to stick. They're always complaining about the CGI budget. They're not just going to stick them in a scene, you know? Yeah. And especially it, with the three dudes, too. Yeah. I, I think tonight's showing was just a reminder yeah. that Ghost is still around yeah. um, and that next week he'll probably um, figure prominently. Die. I'm, you I'm, mean I'm, he'll die next week is what you mean, Ken. Come on. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I'm going to be bold, Axel, oh. and say that Ghost 
along with Nymeria, who's not really an active dire wolf because she's not, she's doing her own thing. Um, but Ghost is going to be the only um, active surviving dire wolf. Wow. I hope you're uh, right. I hope you're right. Okay. I hope you're right. And Me I like, too. you mentioned Nymeria and somebody, I, I had read some uh, theory someone had that like, um, when, like the dead are going to be coming up on Winterfell and all of a sudden Nymeria is going to lead the charge of like five million dogs. <laughs> you know, like every dog in Westeros was gathered up and then that, then, you know, they're going to have a, re- a ghost and Nymeria going to reunite. That would be kind of cool. Um, you had in the notes and I thought this was interesting too, that, and I had thought about this and I was so glad that it was said in the show yeah. And secondarily, so glad that you're the best, Ken, because you put it in the notes. Dragonfire has never been used on White Walkers. Bran was like, I don't know. It's never been tried before. And it reminded me, and we've been kind of bandying about this crazy Danny could be an ice queen and John and who maybe somebody has to be the next night. I don't want to get it all into that. But Brett had had the theory that if Danny became a White Walker, would her Targaryen blood make her invincible now? Because then she's invincible to fire too, right? Right. And there is some thought that the um, the Night King could be a Targaryen. He rides a dragon. There's the sigil. And yeah. um, we don't know his origin, though we saw he was a man. So could it be that the Night King is invincible that you can't kill him with fire because he's a Targaryen and you can't kill him. Uh, well, maybe you could still kill him with the dragon glass. I don't know. Maybe I- I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I thought it was interesting that they brought it up. I haven't really fleshed it out. I just th- thought of it when I saw it here, but would, what would it make him impervious? What would make him impervious to the dragon glass? Being a being a White Walker, he still would be, but would then with the Targ. Oh well, because he's a Targaryen, right? And they're descent of the dragon, so right. there's some kind of like genetic thing there that the dragon glass and the fire don't kill him. So I don't know. Are we gonna? Are they gonna? Because we've seen him before, just walk through fire. Actually, what two times he did it, and one time another White Walker did it. Right. Where before, right. as he stepped up to it. The fire went out and it spread past him. The fact that the, all of this is being posed as a question on the eve of a big battle with them <laughs> is really interesting, just yeah. like timing wise. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Like, do, do they have wildfire with them at Winterfell? Mm. I don't know. Well, like, that's another I don't question. Know. Wildfire, right? Because yeah. uh, Heath on our last show had asked, is Danny impervious to wildfire? She's impervious to fire. Right. That's but, a good question. You know, Heath. We don't Heath, know. That's these. a great question. Yeah. yeah. So either way, you kind of, you don't, you're kind of, this is going to be kind of fun because they're even admitting it's so interesting, right? That they have a plan, but part yeah. of the plan is that they're going to have to improvise. You know, exactly, and right. that speaks a bit to maybe what happened at the Battle of the Bastards. I'm thinking about this battle and I'm thinking about the other battles we've seen and how they might have foreshadowed this battle. 
A lot of people are thinking someone's going to sweep in at the end, just like the Battle of the Bastards, just like Stannis did. Um, but I don't know. I, I, do you have any thoughts about that before we go, get to the drinking party? I wouldn't be surprised if this battle, instead of a um, um, an army coming out of nowhere to save the day, I wouldn't be – and this is pure guess – I would not be surprised if this one ended with a retreat. Mm. I can, you know, there's a reason why you're awesome. (laughs) And one of the reasons why is because you agree with me before you even know it. And (laughs) that's a great reason to be awesome, right? Because you agree with me. But um, that was actually very Danny-like. I'm being influenced by her. Um, (laughs) Love makes you do things. I totally agree. I think they're going to have to jump on the back of a dragon and get the hell out of there. I just don't see how they're going to – I don't know who's going to show up. Nymeria, people are saying Melisandre, elephants, whoever. Nobody's going to help them. And I think that they are going to be overrun and this is going to be like pure hard home destruction, like a replay of hard home where they have to get the hell out of there as fast as they can. And that's what I think the dragons are going to end up being more than anything. They're going to be useful as helicopters to get the hell out of Hanoi. There's lots of clues. Like the, the they wrote a line for um, Yara last week where she's like, um, I'm going to retake the Iron Islands in case Danny needs yes. something to retreat to. Like why give Yara that line? Snaps to Ken. Unless it was a possibility. Yeah, totally. And repeated too, right? Exactly. Um, and also, actually, if you remember, Euron says the same thing uh, to Cersei. Mm-hmm. You will True. have that they can't get there. So yeah. I had a little bit of theory that I'll drop right now. Could we be seeing both of them overrun King's Landing and uh, Winterfell? And all of our heroes, including Cersei and Euron, escaping to the Iron Islands and hanging out in that big room where they found Theon's wiener in the box. <laughs> well, you're brilliant. And and I'll just add another layer to that and say, remember at the end of season two, when Danny went to the House of the Undying, she was seeing images of the... Of, of a proposed future. And one of the images she saw was the throne room yep. completely destroyed with the roof off. Yeah. So, so it, it, I mean, that could be the night King's dragon destroying the throne room yeah. because they, because they overran King's landing. I think, and wouldn't that be something because a lot of people have said, what happens if they win and what happens if they do, what happens if literally, we're at a point in the show where the White Walkers have literally overrun Westeros, and there and our heroes are in the Iron Islands, and we're and we're worried about because one thing that I do want to mention, and we could go down such a rabbit hole. We got. I do want to get to the drinking party. Is this? No one has even mentioned Essos. No one True. has even said. On, on In the Winterfell side, of course, we know Cersei has, but on the Winterfell side, no one has said, hey, you know, we kind of came from this other place and we brought a lot of people with us, but if we lose here, 
aren't they screwed too? Doesn't the long night take over the whole world? Isn't that the history of it? Or am I wrong about that? I don't think you're wrong about that because Melisandre comes from Essos. So the fact that, that this has been her, um, her prime focus for her character's entire being would mean that she came from Essos to Westeros because she was concerned about this. So I think that you're right. I think it's, it's a whole world problem. It's not just a Westeros problem. So that would be nuts, man. All right. I don't want to go. Let's talk about the drinking party. I love this. This was so awesome. And it was all, so well written. Oh my God. And it went on so long. It I loved did. every minute of it. I don't, I can hear people it like, I can hear tweets being clackety clacked about how they have so much time for this. Let's get to it. This is what every, if you're a fan of this show and you love these characters, yeah. you wanted this to be the entire episode, which I did. Exactly. And I loved yep. every second of it. And again, I have to say, Tormund, my man, I hope he, look, I'm six foot four. My wife is six foot one. Okay. I admit it. I see Tormund and Brienne and me and my wife. My wife is nothing like Brienne, but she's tall and Tormund looks like me and has red hair and a beard. So I just really love, I want them to get together and it pains me the scenes too, because I shouldn't be shipping like this. I'm a 45 year old grown man, Ken. But I do. And as I'm sitting there with my wife, I'm like looking over at her and I'm like, I hope they get together. And she's like, oh, you're so weird, dude. We're, we're married. Okay. You know, it's been 10 years. Uh, but I just, that part of it and, and just everybody loosening up the way Tyrion poured all the wine into pods. It was so cute, man. There, there wasn't a false beat in the entire sequence, and it was all character-driven and dialogue-driven and relationship-driven, and um, it made it, it. It just really put a smile on my face. It did the thing that Tyrion said, I believe, that he wanted it to do, which is yeah. this is the night before the battle. Let's let's have let's have a moment. Let's have a moment before all of this happens. Um, I'm I'm paraphrasing. That's not what he said exactly, but um, and then they had a moment. Like it started off with a few people. More people came. More people came. They're all sitting around the fire. They're all talking. They're all interacting. There's different combinations of dialogue going on. Um, it was great. It was great. And um, Jamie knighting Brienne oh, at the end. Yeah. Of, of the sequence was, um, I mean, the name of this episode is, um, is, uh, uh um, a night of the seven kingdoms, yep. which is a reference to the end of this sequence. So, um, the fact that that happened, um, it, it didn't, I didn't tear up, but I got a lump in my throat. It made me emotional. It reminded me of the scene in season two when um Catelyn takes Brienne into her service yeah. after they've escaped the Stormlands. Yeah. Um I a lot of people talked about how revolutionary that scene was between Catelyn between two women. Um 
a woman taking a woman knight into her service, um, how revolutionary that was. I would uh, I would submit that this this sequence tonight or the scene tonight at the end of this sequence felt also a little revolutionary. The fact that Jamie was knighting a woman and, and the way he did it and the emotion involved, um, it, it just felt like an exclamation point for a character who deserves an exclamation point because she's been honorable and true and good um, through the entire run of the story, the most loyal, steadfast person um, in in the entire saga, probably. Um, yeah, and I love and it. for her to for this to be a reward that she gets and recognition that she gets on the eve of a big battle where she may or may not die um, is phenomenal. Yeah, I definitely did tear up. I thought it was wonderful. She's one of my favorite characters on the show. Um, Jay, they, the acting was spectacular. The way yeah. I'll use the word you did before economical. That's how it was shot. Yeah. And it kind of, when the camera turned, when you see him move over and then it turns, it's like it, it kind of snapped into a, the standard here we are. And like, you know, a wide over the shoulder of the show. It was just a great, shot it was beautiful i really loved it and it kind of fit into the way that they were all feeling that camaraderie with each other and that it's a night and again it harkens back to the power of the people it wasn't a king deferring you know putting that on her right it was an it was her peer it was a and not only her peer but a knight who had in many ways been struck down yeah you know and and now was actually her underling. And that made it uh, thematically work into the whole idea of this show moving towards uh, a land and a people who rely on each other. The pack survives. I thought, and that's the pack too, them all getting together. But again, I want to point out, Tyrion was having a little bit too much fun. And <laughs> I, I kind of worry about him in this battle yeah. and what's yeah. going to happen. And I know some people have also said that maybe he struck some kind of deal with Cersei or something. Um, I don't believe that, but I don't either. He's just acting weird. It was just weird to me. Um, and again, let's mention how awesome Tormund's origin story is. I, I didn't even understand it while it was happening. He got in the bed with the giant's wife. I was like, what? She suckled him for three months? <laughs> no, he suckled oh. her. Oh, okay. Right, that's right. He suckled her. Okay, that's right. For three months, though, he said, right? Right, he did. Like, oh, that was what... And then Jamie, they went, whoa. It was just so much fun. And the way he pulled the chair, too, yeah, and just let it drag on the floor. And it was it was also reminding me how, like, Jamie hasn't been around wildlings. That's true. You know? So yeah. for him, the dashing knight, yeah. he was kind of looking at his brother, and Tyrion was like... Yo, man, I've been around Dothraki. You know what I like? You now you're trying to un, you're starting to understand Jamie when you leave the confines of Cersei's chambers. You start seeing the world for how it really is. Well, I'm going to ask you, and this is once again just a guess, but I'm going to ask you to have faith in your boy because I feel like um, 
you know, it's all an organic journey for all these main characters. And I think there's going to be twists and turns in each of their personal stories until the bitter end. Um, and I don't think that Tyrion is going to stay at the bottom of the wheel much longer. Good. I hope that there's a turn. And I, 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 I would find it hard to believe that there isn't going to be a turn. That the reason why he seems like he's at the bottom of the wheel right now is because there's about to be an upturn. I hope so. It's always darkest before the dawn. That's what my mama told me. <laughs> um, do you want to, we talked, I think we already talked about Sam giving the sword to Jorah. Did you want to mention something else about that or? Well, I do think it's, especially since next week, we're going to go right yeah. into a big battle. Let's note who has a Valyrian sword and who doesn't. True. Okay. So who is it? John, Arya, Jorah. And Jamie. Jamie. And Brienne. And Brienne. Yeah. Wait, does Jamie? Jamie has um, uh, Joffrey's old sword. Oh, okay. That's right. Okay. So that's five people. So oh, wait. Five and, uh, oh, no. And also Gendry's – isn't Gendry's axe made of Valerian steel? No. He just made that himself. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought yeah. that he had something. Well, he was- made a – he made a dragon glass axe for okay, okay. for the hound. But if we're just talking Valyrian steel, um, yes, I think those five characters um, are the only ones who have a Valyrian um, weapon. Cool. Do you think they're so, all going to put them together like Voltron and like the Valyrian <laughs> like spe- like robot is going to come out and? That is totally going to happen, Axel. That is totally going to happen. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of something that is going to happen and that did happen, the truth finally came out in the crypts again, John. And I have to say, I thought, again, economical, the way this scene was written was perfect. It It threw me off a little bit last episode when Sam told John, threw me off a little. But this, I thought, just the way he said it, and just laid it out to her. And he's like, and, and and it pained him too. You could see it pained him to tell her. He was more, I think it was almost like he was more caring about her, you know, and how it was going to hurt her, her idea of herself than he was like challenging her or anything. He just, it was really great and emotional and quick. And I, I thought I really liked it. I 100% agree with you. The only thing I'll add is that the cherry on top of the Sunday was that it got interrupted. And I thought that was perfect. Um, nice. I forgot about that. You're right. Like, I know that they were going to say more stuff to each other. And I'm glad that it got it. I'm glad that we don't know what they were about to say to each other. It could have been negative. It could have been positive. It could have been a little of both. But the fact that the conversation got interrupted because the White Walkers are here and the shit's about to hit the fan, like that makes it even more fascinating for the situation. But it makes it more fascinating for each of them because now they have to fight a battle with this kind of looming over them. Yeah. Um, That's a great point. And um, it's... John gets told he delays in telling her. Then he tells her they get delayed in figuring it out, you know? And there's so much. There was the idea. Originally, I remember somewhere along the line, somebody had the idea, hey, let's just like settle things now and go fight. 
Um, and I was kind of surprised that Danny immediately challenged him. Oh, your best friend and your brother uh, know this information. How convenient, you know? Yeah. She really got right – her hackles went right up when he's when he was so emo too. You know, he's trying to like sing a Cure song to her and she's coming at him like Soundgarden. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like, she's on her, her pose there, you know? That's and, a great uh, metaphor. Hey, man. <laughs> up in the 90s. Uh, yeah, me too. And look, the dream of the of 90s are alive in Portland. I live here. That's um, true. But uh, that surprised me because I was hoping – it was almost like she got saved by the bell because she really should have said, Hey, John, this is a lot to take for me and for you. We're about to get in a battle. Let's, let's talk about this later. I think it was telling that her very first reaction had to do with her relationship with power. Um, like the very first place she went to is about her legitimacy as the person who should sit on the iron throne. Um, Like, I guess there were a few places you could have gone. If someone said that to you, like if it were me, I might've gone, ew, I've been sleeping with my nephew. Ew. Like that might've been my first response. Um, But the fact that um, so much of this has been so much of these revelations at the end of last week's episode. And then the end of this episode have been about Danny and have been about, her legitimacy to be queen and how this possibly um, threatens that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that John, John's first instinct is to protect her. Like you were saying a few yeah. minutes ago. And I think it's interesting that that's where she goes to, but, it, but from like a defensive point of view, yeah. like, like you were saying like, Oh, your brother yeah. and your best friend. I'm telling you, it's like reality bites or something. I don't know. You know, and she's Ethan Hawk. He, this is uh, I've been this guy before. Yeah. All right, Ken, this is like the story of my twenties. Um, <laughs> he's so emo. He's not, you know, Sansa should just be like, John, you're doing it again. It's all about her. You get all wrapped up in her. What about your feelings, man? When's the last time she texted you? You're always texting her. You know, I mean, I just feel like maybe in the same way that you said about Tyrion, maybe John too is kind of on the upswing because just to kind of take it, just like say back to her, like, look, you're le- you have the same claim as me, you know, like, what are you arguing about? I just found out this information. Do you think I, I didn't even want to be, you know, I didn't want to be in the, 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 um, commander of the night's watch. I didn't want to be, uh, yeah. King in the North, and I don't want to be King of Westeros. You're the one who wants it, but I can't. We can't deny that it is what it is, yeah. and you can't deny that either because I'm your brother's son. If you care yes. so much about your family, then don't you care about me? You know, look what happened to your family. You should be happy that I'm alive. If it was a dip, like put it to you this way, if it was like a little kid. And someone said, well, that could, would be impossible. But um, just if it was someone else, you know, that was maybe couldn't rule for some reason, you know, she yeah. might thank the person that kept 
her relative alive for all this time. But instead, she's just worrying about herself. But that is her character. And this has been going on for so long, man. We only got four episodes left. You know, she's either going to give it up or she's not. And I don't know really what the alternative is, but I can't see it happening. Well, it seems like very soon she's going to have to make a final choice. And it's the choice that you just said a few seconds ago, which is at this point, she has set herself, she's kind of painted herself into a corner, right? So th- I, I think if if there's a choice, the choice is going to legitimately be, I go, I either go all the way like tyrant, grab, grab the throne, or I give it all up. Like, I think, I think the choice is going to be that stark and then it'll be interesting to see what she does. Like, what is she going to do? If, if that's the choice, if I'm right and that's the choice and it's that stark of a choice, then which one does she pick? I don't know. I, I don't either, man. I don't either. And, uh, that's why I just, that's why I get the feeling and I'm not going I'm not going to go crazy into the crazy theory, but I just think something different might happen. And maybe like I say getting maybe she's injured or maybe Danny's killed. Like not re, not risen, like dead dead. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um and I I just I don't know if I ever saw her arc kind of concluding in anything but kind of fire and blood. Uh, but we'll see. I think I'm more hopeful. I think that there's a slightly better chance that she'll come to her senses in the last second and give it all up. I could see it because you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, Ken, and as you speak, I see the images of the episode in my mind yeah. and I see the softness she showed Sansa, a little yeah. bit of a smile, something that I had mentioned um Whenever you watch the background videos, behind the scenes, I should say, Amelia Clark is always like joking and laughing and like pranking, it looks like. And just, she seems like, first of all, I think she's going to be a comedic actress. And I think she, I think she's probably got great timing for that. And she showed a little bit of it in this episode and has throughout the series. But maybe they're showing us that so she can open up a little bit. In the same way, and maybe Sansa opening up is a foreshadowing of that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be against it, but they're going to have to kind of sell me on it because this really is her entire sense of being, right? And she needed that. I understand that because what she went through with, what they don't talk a lot about in the show. And I don't, I mean, I think on my rewatch, it was a later season that she kind of says that her brother raped her. You know, and I don't know if that's in the book, but after watching the first season, the first couple episodes, that's the impression I got that he had been using her and maybe with other men too, to get, to get, to let them sleep somewhere or stay somewhere or be safe somewhere. He was kind of pimping her out and she had been, and that, you know, called Drogo, everything we've seen her go through as well, as well as discovering that she is this superhero. You know, well, she is, you can't deny that. Here's one way that they might be able to sell it to you slash us. What if she realizes at some point that it was really her brother's dream 
and it got imprinted onto her, but that it was really his deal, yeah. and she just sort of got sucked into it. You, that is, dude, I, Ken, you're the best because you, you brought me back to that, and that totally makes sense because that is when she had, and all not only his dream, but called Drogo's dream. Yeah. Right? The yeah. men in her life's dream. Yeah. She had to become them. She had to overpower them. Yeah. And maybe finally she'll have to re- relent to a man who is John, but I think he's going to relent to her too. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're both, they're going to both be a bunch of suckers loving each other and getting lovey dovey. I don't know. Do you buy, what do you think of their chemistry as actors on the show, the characters? Cause I actually buy it. I buy it for their characters. Like I see the criticism. I read the criticism from an intellectual point of view. I understand the criticism, but it's, but the, I feel like it's unfair to say that they don't have chemistry period because Dan Daenerys and John are specific kinds of people. Um, John is not torment. Danny is not, um, Marjorie. So because they're both sort of uptight, honor bound, um, um, interior living people, um, then what kind of chemistry do we want them to have? Like, do we want them to have like the kind of chemistry that, um, uh, Martell and the sand snake had like, like they're all over each other. They can't keep their hands off each other. True. That was true to their characters. I feel like the chemistry that um, Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington have is specific to their characters. Like John and Danny are not the kinds of people who are going to be all over each other. They're not the kinds of people who are going to be lovey dovey with each other. They're not the kinds of people who are going to be jokey with each other because that's not their personalities. They're sort they're both sort of uptight. But I feel, but can I have this, I don't mean to interrupt. I want, but I'm doing it on purpose. Um, I think they can be kind. I think when they're alone, the scenes when they're alone, they are they do seem to let their guard down and the the dragon pit scene and the dragon cave I'll call it because the dragon was there and there was a cave the dragon cave scene yeah. last episode i think they did get a little jokey with each a little a little they're still kind of serious but i felt almost like they were like young lovers well, true, and I totally agree with you, and thank you for reminding me of that. That's absolutely true, but they are still primarily serious people. Yes. Oh, completely. Very, too much so. Yeah. Too much so. And um, But I like the way you put it. I think that people have weird expectations because when you look around in life, there's people I know who have been together like 40 years, and you wouldn't even know it. You know what I mean? And then there's people I know who have been together for 40 years and they're all over each other. Everybody's different. There's no one way, you know? So that's why I do believe it. I, I, I think the actors have done a decent job of selling it, but it does kind of sometimes come across a little brothery sistery. Um, well, here's one more thing I'll throw at you. <coughs> I'm sure Excuse on me. your rewatch, this won't surprise you that if if you think about their personal histories, they were both on on 
similar mirror image concurrent journeys the entire time. So like even down to the fact that he had a wild first love, she had a wild first love. And they both came into power around the same time. He was elected um, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. She became Queen of Marine. Right. He he was testing his leadership skills. She was testing her leadership true, skills. True. They they both were. He was defending the wildlings. She was freeing slaves. So really, in a weird way, they've been sort of the same person on the same journey even though their personalities in some ways are radically different, but in some ways they're, they're so similar that when they came together finally last season, I did feel it like that scene when um, after she saves them North of the wall and he's in, he's injured and laying in bed and she comes to talk to him and she, and, and they hold hands. Like I felt something during that scene. I thought, there was a real connection between the two actors and the two characters and 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 it was their form of extreme chemistry so yeah man we shall see we shall see love they're fire and ice baby they sure are fire. and you know what i was thinking john died she kind of died walk into the fire there are there there are two sides of that same coin exactly um, all right, let's wrap it up, Ken. We had in the notes to talk about the – I think we kind of covered. Yeah, we both absolutely. think the Battle of Winterfell is going to be a retreat. Yeah. Most definitely. And, and it, it was a great cliffhanger <laughs> to end the episode on. Oh, it was it, – man, they got me. They really got me because I, I, I just was, oh, are they going to cut? Are they going to cut? They, you know? And then they go behind – and then you see one thing I want to point out. People are going to talk about it. You see all, like I think we said in the beginning of the show, all of like two hours ago, um, that you see like the line of white walkers, not yeah. whites, that there are so many of them. Yeah. And um, go back to Craster's hundred and sons. We saw the hundred and first son touched and Sam is number 100 again. I mentioned that. I think it's so cool because I think I just, I can't wait to see what kind of weird battle like powers and stuff how this is gonna i just think we have no idea how weird and fun this is gonna be i totally agree i i thought that every successive battle that the show has done has upped itself and i feel like i've seen things on screen that i've never seen on screen and i think i don't think this is going to be an exception i think once again we're going to be treated to something that maybe a lot of us feel that we've never seen on screen before um and um and i think it's going to be a wild ride and i'm looking forward to every second of it yes well ken thank you so much for coming on today is there anything you want to say before i say goodbye just enjoy the ride folks it's i mean we have four episodes left um i don't think this is ever going to happen again like i don't think this confluence of source material showrunner writing acting directing production value the money that hbo is putting into it i don't think this is ever going to happen again so i'm i'm 150 percent 
propelling myself to enjoy every last minute that we have left with this story and these characters. And the only thing that I would say to all your listeners and all the fans of game of Thrones is try to do the same thing because this is going to be over before we know it. And it, this thing, this kind of thing may never happen again in television history. Um, And I'm just glad that it's happening right now and that, and that I'm seeing it. So, well, we th- we are glad that you are on the podcast, buddy. And I want to extend an invitation to you to come back, maybe at the end of the season, maybe before, and talk more Game of Thrones, baby. I'd be glad to. Thanks for having me on. That would be awesome. And everybody is, I know, I got to tell you, Ken, on the Twitter, the emails, everything, everybody's like, Ken's back, baby. Ken's back. We love it. We love Ken. And I love all you guys. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go to podcastwinterfell.com. Join us tomorrow at 10 p.m. on the YouTube. And uh, thanks again, Ken. You're the best, buddy. This was so fun. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Peace out.